Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, friends. Hello. We're going back to welcome back, friends. I feel like new school year, we need something new. Oh, what if... Okay, well, now we have to think about it. (laughs) I, I honestly, like, when I think back, like, some days I think, oh, I say this one thing all the time, so I'm going to try to change it up. But then I probably say the same thing every time. I don't really know. <laughs> well, it's been a minute since we've listened back. Actually, when we take our break, sometimes we kind of go back. Obviously, we are able to, with the help of our producer, pick out certain episodes that we aired during July. So we should, yeah, it's been a minute since we listened back. So we'll see. I think maybe Hello Party People is just a little bit too much, maybe. (laughs) Sometimes we're so serious on here, but with the new school year, let's get some new vibes, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Yeah. yeah. So we have a really great guest today that is going to talk about just kind of what Amanda mentioned, so many moving parts all the time, right? And we're going to be tackling the things that are coming through the State Department of Education. But before we do that, Ariel, thank you so much for coming onto our podcast. Thank you so much, Vicki and Amanda, for having me today. I'm really excited to be here with you to discuss um, some really exciting steps forward in inclusive practices that kind of are happening as we speak in California. Yeah. And um, real quick, I'm just, I wanted to introduce myself a little bit more. I am an inclusive education consultant. I'm originally from New Jersey, but now for the last 11 years, I've lived here in Los Angeles. And My story kind of starts as a special educator right out of college, moving from the East Coast to the West Coast and just truly being in awe of how um, almost behind a lot of the special Mm. ed practices that I saw in California and participated Uh in in California were to what I experienced on the East Coast, both in my own education as a child and in my Mm. student teaching and Honestly, that huge gap of what I witnessed state to state is what has kept me in special education, particularly in inclusion. It really has astounded me for many years that such an innovative, forward-thinking state like California hasn't been doing more to include students with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, throughout my experience as a classroom teacher and a teacher leader and now consultant... I've just had an opportunity to work across the gamut, both in self-contained programs that I integrated into full inclusion programs. I've co-taught in charter schools that have more innovative special education practices and full co-teaching. Had the opportunity to serve as, as an inclusion specialist to some school districts locally to support them in including students with extensive support needs in general education and modified curriculum. And I'm really excited about these new initiatives, and I'm looking forward to finding ways that I can embed myself in this work and support school districts in um, some of the big changes that are 
I'm excited are happening for our kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we talk about inclusion a lot on this podcast. And so to be able to kind of see, you know, the law is sometimes slow (laughs) to change. (laughs) So, you know, being able to have you on to discuss this, like specifically, I think will help a lot of our listeners who are a mix people that work in schools and parents and just, you know, people of the community. So we always really try to bring forward some of the stuff that either they're interested in hearing or what people like you are doing to kind of catch up, right? And yeah. see how how to move forward. And we should probably clarify, you know, one thing that we, we talk about sometimes when we discuss what the state legislature is doing, just like you hear all the time, like, oh, Congress is putting forth a bill for this or that. And a lot of people sometimes feel like that's the end, that, oh, a bill was put forward, it's going to get passed, it's going to take effect immediately. And then they say, well, why isn't anything changing? And unfortunately, the legislature, both federal and state, it works very slow just because measures are put in place, proposed, signed into law, it still takes a long time for these moving parts to actually take effect, for things to be funded and implemented. And so things are still slow. And that's partially why I think California is very behind the times when it comes to a lot of this stuff is that implementation and like the actual practice of these statutes, it just takes so much time because it requires a lot more training and it like has to have that trickle down effect coming from the state then to the local county department of eds, then to the school districts, then to the school. So it's like, and I think sometimes I'm sure you've seen this area like that a lot of times some of the intention behind these new practices, they get lost in translation because we have a lot of different levels of experience when we're dealing with teachers and administrators. Yeah, absolutely. It's quite interesting to see how long that trickle down effect can really take. And it really can look different county to county. You know, I'm just realizing so much more about the local control. I think we've been saying that for, you know, five or so years, you know, and it has to do with funding, but also just, I think in that trickle down, you know, when these resources and trainings, et cetera, are allocated to different counties, each county does something slightly different with it. And then the districts in those counties each do their own kind of thing. And then, Mm -hmm. right, right, then you Mm -hmm. talk about the schools. So it's interesting, these policies and, you know, it's exciting. Some of them have which become new laws. You know, I think the intent is to provide that like equity across the state. But I think with the local control, sometimes it's really hard to ensure that (laughs) interpreted and implemented with equity everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we wanted to talk about was the state of California, the Department of Education recently created Mm -hmm. what they're calling the Inclusion Support Office Division. And I first heard about this division through one of my county council meetings. And what I was told about it is, you know, we have all this work being done right now to focus on the early ed component the universal TK, the name of it has changed a number of times from universal TK to universal pre-K. Now we have both. (laughs) Right. Which like, there's so many phases of this plan that like, even now, so I have a son who's turning three in September who like, you know, we're dealing with the TK and all of that stuff next year and just dealing with all the dynamics. And when you look at it, a lot of people are just not sure like what the plan is. And it's because 
there's like deadlines for when the universal like TK. So meaning all four-year-olds in the state will have access to free TK in their school districts. Then there's a deadline for when supposedly we're going to get for three-year-olds. But like right now, there's like a plan in place. Because I know because I was a part of like developing, basically each county has to put together a plan of how they're going to determine what is appropriate for universal pre-K and preschools so for three-year-olds. And then once they get the funding, then they can put this plan into action. So it's like several years in the process just to create a plan for a plan, which I mean, this is how it <laughs> works, right? And so I was told that this inclusion support office was initially created to support the universal preschool to make sure that we are starting off these kids off the bat with an inclusive environment rather than what the current standard is, if you're in special education and you're in a preschool program with your school district, you're in a special day class. You're not fully included, mostly because there are not gen ed preschool programs. Yeah, this is really exciting. And honestly, when I think about like the pie in the sky, like how can California Mm -hmm. become fully inclusive in public education? I think of this universal TK and universal pre-K program as like one of the main routes. I see a yeah. lot of resources being allocated, a lot of professional development happening. Yeah. I just spent a couple of days last week at the Los Angeles County Office of Education attending a universal TK implementation workshop. And, you know, it's a go, like it's really exciting. And there's this component too, of making sure it's play-based and developmentally appropriate. That's like a huge component. And yeah, something I was feeling when I was there was like, if they're putting all of these resources to making a developmentally play-based appropriate program statewide for our Mm four-year-olds, our kiddos, our four-year-olds with IEPs better be included with it because I like, yeah, that, that's even just more of a stressor for me. Like, of, okay, I need to get into this work and like see how I can support. Because like you said, right now, our four-year-olds with IEPs are being placed in special day classes. We know when kids start there, they tend mm-hmm. to stay there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I have to imagine that across the board, we're not always seeing developmentally appropriate play-based programming for our kiddos, our four-year-olds in these self-contained programs. So this sounds just like what our kids with IEPs need, this opportunity to be inclusive for teachers to be trained on development. Like, I'm just so excited. Yeah. I mean, starting kids off on the right foot the day they enter a school district is just always going to be the best for not just that child, but everyone involved. It's going to help them be included, which gives them the more opportunities that, you know, the least restrictive environment is supposed to do, which unfortunately is not always the case. You know, we get these IEP teams who try to sell parents on the SDC, uh, you know, preschool or even kindergarten program saying, no, 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 no. Like our program is designed to help get your kid into gen ed kindergarten or first grade when we all know that that's not the case. You know, you know, it's interesting the more kind of I get out there and, and network more with different special educators, the more I realize that like, it's not always the IEP selling that placement. A lot of those educators still genuinely believe that this setting is the most appropriate, that this self yeah. setting. And I think for a while, I assumed since I was 
you know, an inclusionary special education teacher. I always had inclusion mm-hmm. as the vision from day one mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. all special education teachers, you know, right. shared that Thought belief that. with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just realizing mm-hmm. Again, just the trickle down, like not all teacher credentialing programs have an inclusion focus. So then people who go through them don't come out kind of with knowledge of that or having read their research on it. So that is definitely another barrier, kind of even just getting the special ed teachers on board. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the natural questions that parents should ask that they don't necessarily know to ask is, okay, if it does do that, how many of your kiddos have actually integrated back into general education by <laughs> kindergarten? Because then you'll get the real answer whether or not they believe, you know, that whoever is selling it, right, believes it's true or not. You know, let's look at the data because you may believe that that's true. That's your opinion. But the data, the cold hard facts, more likely than not, is that one or two of those students have integrated back into the general education kindergarten but only because parents had provided or front-loaded so much private services at that point, right? Or for a plethora of other reasons, maybe it's like the unicorn child. But, you know, what is important is that with the State Department, you know, creating this, you know, division and a couple of other things that we'll get into with credentialing programs, you know, we would hope that it kind of shifts the paradigm. It shifts that perspective, right? So that all educators, not just those with a specialty in inclusion or special education, right? Like all educators would hopefully have the belief that, hey, we can teach the mind of whatever child, right? Whatever their unique learning style is, because everybody has a unique learning style, right? We just categorize and label the kiddos with special needs, right? We have, you know, special terminology all around it. But just even in speaking with you, I can see your perspective is so different, just the way that you speak about the kiddos and on IEPs and things like that. But yeah, I guess that that is unique (laughs) for an educator, which I guess you wouldn't necessarily have thought of before. Yeah. Well, what's also interesting at that age group too, is that so many kids haven't been identified. Like the kids who have been identified have you know, unfortunately, either like, you know, extensive support needs and, you know, the -hmm. parents and Mm -hmm. medical teams have, you know, intervened early. And then kiddos with more like mild to moderate needs, you know, likely have, you know, just had parents who maybe have raised other kids and just see that difference. Right. right? But there's so many, so many kids who don't, you know, get identified Mm -hmm. with an area Mm -hmm. of need for an IEP until second, third, even fourth grade. Right. So, yeah, I know, you know, I know preschool, PK, TK, kindergarten (laughs) teachers, they actually are already teaching children with disabilities who aren't identified. And so it's just like also increasing the confidence of, you know, the professionals in the space to recognize that they've already been doing it. And there are best practices we can continue to put in place and more development, but um, you have the skills, (laughs) you can do it. Yeah. And especially at that age, if you know, academic expectations are not there to the same level as kindergarten, first grade, second grade, right? And so there's not as much of, oh, we have to, if we are modifying, we are isolating, there isn't as much, you know, there's a lot of kids at this age that need, have different needs that may not normally, like you said, be identified. But I think it'll, I think, and I hope that a lot of the training that goes along with all of this process is going to help identify some of these kids better 
because, you know, I have a case right now who's, you know, student was in a, you know, private preschool program and the school district did their assessments because, you know, they were referred by Mm -hmm. the parents, you know, Hey, let's do. And the assessment was done where only one observation in their private preschool program, the rest of the assessment was done either one-on-one or in the the school's like own, like self-contained program. So that's Mm -hmm. not necessarily accurate, right. Of how the student would do. So then it's just a process of delay, right? It's not until the child gets into kindergarten, gets into the school district that they're able to even see the kid on a regular basis to know, oh, I guess something is going on. So we get those kids that don't get us IEPs for several years. Whereas Mm -hmm. maybe now the hope is that, you know, obviously there might be kids who aren't going to fall behind and (laughs) are going to be supportive enough with an inclusive environment that maybe they won't need an IEP. But those that do can be identified sooner so that the level of accommodations is probably going to be less because, I mean, the amount of times that we get a kid where we say, if this kid would have been identified two years ago, yeah. like we wouldn't have the gap that we have now. Yeah. So, you know, there's so much that I think can be done wow. in this early ed. Well, I'm definitely also seeing a lot of language about multi-tiered systems of supports, you mm-hmm. know, throughout and universal design for learning. And I feel yeah. like kind of all the things being worked on legislatively now include those components. So yeah, it is my hope that more support will be universal, which is obviously ideal. And that these kiddos are just in more supportive environments where Yes, their needs are noticed, but also accepted and also, you know, remediated in that environment. Absolutely. And I think one of those important aspects that you had also just mentioned earlier is not only do the teachers already have those foundational skills, but there is going to, you know, hopefully sign into law, right, where we have the California Administrative Service Credential that Mm -hmm. will have that focus on inclusion, right? So can you talk a little bit about how you feel that could, you know, what what, what would the impact of that be? I'm so excited about this one. (laughs) Thanks for bringing it up. So SB 354, it just passed the Senate um, and is now onto the assembly. So I'm just following that and crossing my fingers. But If this bill is passed, it would require a revision to the California Administrative Services Credential Standards. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. for those who might not know, um, in public schools, principals, assistant principals, superintendents, and all those kind of other administrative positions, they're required to have this additional credential in addition to their teaching credential. And Mm -hmm. programs would have to revise it to include an inclusive framework and teach our principals, et cetera, about the benefits of inclusion, about universal design for learning, and just, you know, ensure that to complete these programs, the students as in the administrators have just Mm -hmm. been exposed to just information about this. And I mean, it's crazy to say like that this is a huge milestone because it's like, wait, why weren't our administrative Mm -hmm. programs Mm -hmm. discussing inclusion? Why aren't they discussing inclusion? Like that's a whole other can of worms, but obviously it's necessary. So many of our school administrators come from general education backgrounds versus Mm -hmm. special ed backgrounds, which just, you know, in any 
kind of special ed related topic, you know, is generally a disservice to to the students and the staff. You know, they don't have that background just in in IEPs, in Mm -hmm. any of these things, in IDEA. So yeah, it would be a really big step for these programs to require curriculum related to universal design for learning and inclusion. And it just keeps it at the top of everybody's mind, right? Just like how you had said, like, oh, this is my belief, but I guess maybe that kind of came from me a little bit, kind of came from the program, kind of came from a mentor, but this would like at least give that exposure, right? And then, you know, each person can kind of take and make it their own, which I think we share your sentiment about, oh man, okay, yeah, California, how things are done, like throughout the whole state is one thing. Then you get into the counties, which is another. Then Mm -hmm. you have the SELPAs and then you have the, (laughs) you know, the districts or the other, you know, local education agents. Like there's just, we love to categorize things. And then even just like down to, that child school, the principal, and then the teacher. Like there's just so many layers. It's really, it's, yeah, it's, you know, it does feel, and that's why, you know, we sometimes do speak to the administrators and the teachers that we hope listen to our podcast. Obviously through our experiences, you know, we share, we only see the bad. Mm -hmm. We do try to remember to share the good. And, you know, we, you know, the purpose is to get that information out there, right? So that parents are aware of different situations. What I try and remember, and it's it's hard, I have to keep reminding myself truly that, you know, if I'm visiting a school that has, you know, very segregated programs, very limited mainstreaming, It's not necessarily because, you know, the administrator doesn't believe in inclusion. It's sometimes and many times because they don't know about inclusion and they don't know another way and they haven't seen another model. And there are so many initiatives and research that's being thrown in their face that they just haven't taken the time to deep dive into this one. So, yeah, I agree with you that it's important that we keep highlighting kind of yeah um, those more positive <laughs> yeah, yeah. administrators in this the, work. the positive reinforcement, but mm-hmm. it's so hard because if filing complaints is negative reinforcement, <laughs> it's not working either. No, I'm just kidding. That's I mean, unfortunately, we have a job, and our hope is that we don't. And with the help of people like you, and you know, the people that hopefully listen to this podcast and take everything with a grain of salt, and just really are there for the kiddos. Ariel, as we wrap up, is there anything that you want our listeners to look out for with some of the inclusion stuff? Is there anything you want to leave them with before we part ways? Oh my gosh, so many good things, but we could definitely add some links to these documents that we're referencing. If you're in California, I want to learn more into the show notes. But I guess for those who are kind of inclusion minded and and want to stay connected with this work. I really do feel that the universal TK and pre-K initiatives are where we're going to be seeing a big push in different districts and counties Mm. to start their inclusion. And then also the multi-tiered systems of support initiatives. And I think that's something that, you know, statewide realizing that a lot of kiddos are um, falling through the cracks and that's, you know, these are gen ed programs, I guess. What I will say is I think we're going to see the biggest bang for our buck in gen ed programs that support inclusion. And those are two (laughs) that I feel um, are really leading some of this 
work around inclusion at the moment in California. Absolutely. Well, Ariel, thank you so much for your time and your efforts and just expertise on inclusion. We'll definitely have to have you back on to get an update of how we're seeing some districts, or at least in the LA area that you're at, um, how they're implementing it or how you've seen it because that'll be really cool yeah to kind of see like you said the three of us yeah yeah like you said I would love to not have a job you know my biggest wish you know when I'm an inclusion specialist on an IEP team is that the school will no longer need me because they'll be doing that work so yeah yeah, maybe that'll be the case when we speak next yes (laughs) thank you Ariel for your time listeners hope you enjoyed this conversation about inclusion and if you have any questions just send us a direct message we'll talk to you soon bye bye